welcome everyone to another episode of Coffee Science Guru. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we're only getting the coffee and the science part today. Julian has honestly, I think you know we did the last episode was on coffee and health, mm. and, I th- <laughs> yeah. and I think I've been having enough. Look, I don't, I don't want to like you know touch wood, but cursed episode. Mm. I took time off for being sick. Julian's you been say that. Sick as well. I think the only one who sort of avoided this time has been me, probably. I've been ready to go here. Yeah, you've been week. like, yeah, maybe you're just like absorbing the life force. <laughs> maybe that's it. Everyone, oh no. Yeah. I've been trying to. That wonderful voice that you're hearing is, of course, Dr. Adam Carr. Hello. Um, how's it going? Me? Oh, good, good. Actually, just about to take a swig of water. Um, <laughs> no, no, all things going well. It's quite nice out here now. It's, um, yeah, it's like... It's moved from winter into what feels like immediately summer. Yeah, spring, spring sprung. Mm, um, it's 30, 30 degrees. The wind temperature is nice what? and cool. No, it's not that hot. No, it, no, it is, yeah. Mm. I, maybe not Celsius yet. Celsius is not Fahrenheit. 30 I mean, degrees in other parts it's, of the world it's, is very cold. Yeah, it's, tw- it's 12 p.m. Mm. Maybe it's... 30 degrees out home where I checked the weather this morning. Mm. Um, well, I suppose it's quite hot, veritably roasting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of temperatures, <laughs> you today's you topic, yeah, I, I had that one planned already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them that. <laughs> um, just uh, transparency. Yeah. Um, today's episode is going to be on roasting in general. We're going to get into a little bit of who, what, why. A little bit of chemistry, having mm, bit of the how. a chemical engineer. Mm. Um, I'll do my best. Um, full disclaimer, neither of us are roasters by profession. True. So if we make any mistakes, you know, chalk it up to that and feel free to correct us in the comments. I'm confident in the chemistry, um, but don't, don't, yeah, couldn't tell you, raise yeah. the 70%. Yeah, you know, I've... Fan I've u- force open. I've used the sample roaster and that's, it's, it's a barbecue. It's true. It runs on a gas. It just spins. That's true. From the ni- we got a 1960s, 1970s yeah, probat up here. Like very yeah, very rather cube. rudimentary. Imported from somewhere else. Cubism, just all cubes. Yeah. Also, the gas doesn't really plug in mm. to the correct nozzles, and it kind of does some funny things. It works yeah, fine. We work around. It does. Yeah. It may take three minutes to roast individual samples, but we get <laughs> what we need out of it. Yeah. It's not about speed. It's about quality. True. Um, yeah. So so what is roasting? Um, I guess roasting is turning a raw green product or red product if it's a meat and yeah and then using a few simple and more advanced chemical reactions and turning it into something Hmm. almost completely different I guess so I mean I don't know I don't actually know what the technical definition of roasting is but it's certainly applying heat yeah, well, it's like um, a, li- a little bit of dry frying, a little bit of air baking, mm. a little bit of... Well, I mean, as an engineer, I suppose as a chemist, you probably say it's something... Getting the temperatures hot enough to drive Maillard reactions, caramelization reactions, yeah. and, other, and other such things. Like sh- sugars uh, browning. Yeah. To make something that is relatively inedible and to turn it edible. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, green coffee is... I don't know if we mentioned on the... We might have in an earlier episode. Green coffee is as hard as the human tooth. Mm, that's right. So... Hard, at, most hardness of five. Yeah. As, mm-hmm. as its dry state that we receive it and what the producers turn it into is basically... I don't want to say useless, but, you know, in terms of flavor... It doesn't have a lot going on. Yeah, someone actually said, oh, I, I talked about something that I developed a, lot, a long time ago. Someone said, oh, so you extract the green extract of coffee. And I was like, have you ever tried 
the green extract of coffee. Yeah. If you actually put green coffee, ground it up, put it in a porta filter under an espresso machine and extract it, I'm pretty sure. Well, I don't know what. Have you taken? Yeah. Have you done that before? No, I I do believe that originally before coffee was kind of produced to the and I don't mean like quality standard, but like the production has been standardized mm. that it was kind of brewed as like a whole thing. So you'd like roast the cherry or cook the cherry oh, right. uh, as okay. a whole mm. and kind of turn and that into like a thing. tea scene. Um, or that you would be just, delicious. Or you would just use the fruit. I know Derek, our warehouse manager, when he was in Costa Rica, some yep. of the farmers there were using, I can't remember what, their like colloquial term for it was but it was basically a whole cherry that had been kind of fried up Mm. and then turned into a beverage Mm. so it's like you kind of keeping everything there and not removing any of the no no fruit no pulping it's all getting consumed oh interesting what a nice idea i'd like to try some like the leaves and the fruit or hold caffeine as well. Mm. Um, apparently the leaves don't taste very good, but if you wanted just a caffeine... Yeah, no here. leaves taste good, Josh. No. I mean, <laughs> all salads need dressing. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, you add you add a green, a green coffee into a roaster, it's at 10% moisture. Yep. It weighs, you know, let's say, uh, to, to simplify the maths for layman's like me, you put a kilo of coffee in. Yep. Um, you start at a high temperature once you add the coffee then obviously there's the the beans absorb some temperature so that drops the heat, heat heat yeah yeah sorry they it, absorb some heat some and energy, drops the temperature and then that drops the <laughs> the, te- the overall temperature of the roaster and then basically you climb your way back up yeah um, so it's a typical roast curve and yeah so if yeah, you've heard about yeah. people talking about curves yeah so you imagine it kind of starts off high goes low and dips and you kind of get a sort of like a well sort of thing happening yeah. there and climbs and climbs and climbs and most seasoned roasters operating roasters that have been seasoned have uh it's like a wave yeah um, and then well kind of i mean it kind of you're supposed to in theory i think if you were to go on scotty Rao's book um which is, is definitely not a bad book yeah. um you know the idea is that you're going to try and keep that heat increase slowly declining because you're going up in heat you're starting to lose some moisture as well as you start to go above 100 degrees celsius water starts getting lost um that water helps stabilize temperature increase so if you keep cranking up the heat you might sort of all of a sudden find you've got a thermal runaway and not that you'll catch fire immediately on the the roaster (laughs) but you'll certainly it'll probably cook too fast yeah things it's like burning the outside of a steak and then the insides raw you know things happen faster more quickly Correct. As they get hotter. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And especially, you know, the, the stabilizing effect of waters can't, you know, that's where first crack kind of is. It's where that water, yeah. st- you, all of a sudden, you want, to, you want to try to be approaching that first crack area a little bit more gently. I might, this is my understanding anyway. Yeah. Probably should have Mike here, our <laughs> roaster. Um, but uh, you, know, you have to Sadly, approach he's that. too busy yeah. roasting. <laughs> that's right, unfortunately. He's roasting and cupping right now. Um, but like, I mean, I think you're supposed to drop it off a fair bit because once that water immediately comes out and you've got too much heat going on, yeah. Uh, inside your roaster, then you can it gets over roasted really quickly. Yeah. So there's a few interesting things that happen um, during roasting, and one of those things is what's called first and second crack. Yes. So basically, like popcorn, um, although it doesn't change that much physically. Coffee. Starts, it swells, but doesn't explode. Yeah, kind of it yeah. doesn't turn into like a white thing. Um, but it, it it cracks and makes a popping sound. Some mm. coffees do it more and more vigorously than others, but mm. um, that is usually a uh, has been traditionally a measuring point for how like whether your coffee is like ready to take out of the roaster or how close you're getting to 
a light, medium, dark roast. Mm. Uh, and coffee will often, not long after first crack, will go through a second crack. But is that when coffee becomes endothermic to then yeah, exothermic? That's one of those things. Like, when I first came to coffee, I heard the term endothermic part and the exothermic part. Mm. It's you know, Trying to determine what reactions are going on between one part and the other is a complicated thing. I think I looked up all the different reactions that occur in coffee, so all the different... The overall Maillard reaction product, if you could generalize yeah. it into a Maillard, there's, there's tens of thousands of reactions yeah, happening. Yeah, which is but overall, like yeah. Maillard reactions are like... So certain portions of reactions are exothermic, some are endothermic. So when you get to a certain part of the roast where CO2 start, starts being generated, um, that could technically be considered a form of well, maybe not only combustion, but you know, CO2 is produced by reactions like that, yep. and they're exothermic, so they would generate heat. Okay. Um, endothermic re- uh, reactions requiring adsorption of heat. So that's formation of bonds. Um, formation of bonds? Yes. Um, so for example, the, the depolymerization and the, the formation of sugars, addition reactions, various other things like that. So caramelization um, and Maillard reactions, I think, have a degree of, I want to say, endothermicity. Mm. And so there's stuff like that occurring. Of course, it's happening across the entire spectrum of things, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, you have to put a little bit more heat in there basically to drive the reaction and drive the temperature up just a little bit more than you would have previously. That's what they mean by more endothermic. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, exothermic would be self-heat generating, so you'd basically want to turn the heat off and it would keep increasing in temperature. Right. So it doesn't it doesn't quite do that, but kind of in a in a way, or it's like because it's it starts to run away from you if you add too much. Heat. Yeah, at a certain point. I mean, that's where you start getting towards the burn. It's starting to actually you know yeah. combust. Or like, um, where you get a fire inside the, the roaster. Like the, the reactions that are happening are creating at least some heat. Yes, and correct. And that is happening across the entire time. Some reactions are, some reactions aren't. It's like yeah. most, most, most things that involve roasting, heating, some kind of reaction, there's always, there's always more than one reaction happening. There's yeah. tens of thousands going on. Yeah. Um, but the net effect of them at some point is slightly endothermic. I think I was a bit critical about the, the term of endothermic portion of the reaction. But I think you know, practically yeah. there is a portion of it that requires a bit more heat. Um, towards the end um, yeah. or the you don't you know it's one of those interesting ones I, my theory was actually that um, that endothermic was a pseudo endothermic there was no reaction happening it's actually just water boiling so uh, that yeah, when so water you... boils you can put a whole lot of heat in but the temperature doesn't change yeah. because there's a lot of energy that goes into literally boiling water and it's not just water that's boiling there's probably other stuff in there that's boiling as well it has the same effect yeah um, so that was my theory maybe endothermic reactions maybe there's no reaction it's just boiling water yeah um, I didn't actually come to a conclusion on that but yeah. it's a uh, it's food for thought for sure yeah so uh, and something I'd like to look up a bit so more. what you think like the reason why we can kind of use water how we do even to like brew coffee is yeah. because the molecules are so stuck together that you need to add a lot of energy for them to turn into a different phase yes yeah so so stability i mean yeah. that's it's partly why you would use water so when you boil, when you're cooking stuff while boiling water um the benefit of it is that it always will stay at about 100 degrees celsius if you're doing it you know at sea level, right? Yeah. Um, if somewhere else, but mind you, no matter where it is, whatever the temperature is, it will maintain that for a long period of time. So you want to cook something relatively evenly over the stable heat. Boiling is a good way of doing it. Yeah. You may not drive the reactions you want to drive yeah. at 100 degrees. Um, you know, different reaction regimes occur at different conditions, which is why you have to take beans up to about 200 to generate the kind of flavors you want. Yeah. You can't keep it at 100 and expect the, those flavors to generate. Yeah. They will over the course of maybe weeks. Yeah. Um, but you yeah. take it to 200, so in the course of minutes, you get yeah. so you, you what can, you need. You can heat up a pot of water to 90 degrees, and it's not really going to heat up the rest of the room. Mm. But as soon as it starts to turn into steam, then as the steam leaves, it's taking heat with it and then heating up other things. So if you're yeah. saying that, like, when 
potentially if, if water is being uh, boiling and then creating or like making heat leave the coffee, then you're saying it's like the water is storing heat. Well, just as the, the water boils, and then as it boils, the steam is like taking the heat away, and it's oh, that's a hard one, Josh. Heat, heating up the rest of the room. It's a complex thing. <laughs> um, so it's like you leave a lid on a pot, and it uh, heats up faster. Yeah, because the well, it's a well, because when you because that's the thing, you start looking at the the yeah. I don't know what you go into this in too much more detail, yeah, but I kind of think, yeah, when you side do topic, water. when you do that, well, I mean, you, you're thinking about you're controlling the atmosphere, so you've got a smaller volume on top. That's why you close the pot. You've got a small volume to heat up, and then water can condense in a small, yeah. stable region. When you open up to the rest of the the kitchen, um, then you've got a much larger space for heat to be dissipated within, and yeah. also water is being carried away by forced convection, and yeah. you get more cooling occurring. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, cool. anyway that's a bit <laughs> that's a the very big digression. Yeah. <laughs> Next episode, yeah, boiling water. Talking water, about water. boiling water. <laughs> Watch pot never boils. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that brings us to kind of why we roast, and if if coffee is basically tastes like not much uh, in its green form, dry green form, um, how does it then turn into something that you know tastes like? citrus and strawberries and chocolate and coffee being its own flavor in and of itself and um if if you can't like chew on a colombian or suck on a colombian green coffee and get citrus Hmm. how do you then get citrus after you roast it yeah (laughs) Yeah, well, look, I mean... Million dollar questions. Uh, that's a lot of questions. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, look, I mean, we've already sort of described that, you know, coffee's one of those products that tastes foul green, but actually tastes quite delicious once it's been roasted. Yeah. I mean, that's the case with a lot of different things. I yeah. think co- coffee, cocoa or cacao or yeah. I mean, like uh, chocolate, um, you know, I had to say meat and a whole bunch of other different yeah. things. You know, we generate yeah. a series of reactions. Uh, generally, it's been the branch, the big catch-all term is myriad reactions that occur that produce brown flavored products that we consider quite tasty and delicious mm. um and those reaction products you know vary greatly in sort of the the chemistry of them they can be huge large uh compounds melanoidins fats fatty acids um ranging right down to small ketones aldehydes esters uh things like that in, in layman's terms they're just a whole bunch of different compounds that have a whole variety of different tastes so i yeah. think um coffee for example i mean coffee a lot of the flavors that we prize inside coffee I mean, they have to be generated from roasting. I mean, you, your coffee flavor itself, 2 furfuryl thiol, um, that's, the thiol is basically like an alcohol, but it's got a sulfur instead of an oxygen. Um, that is responsible for the flavor that we, we prize in coffee, mm-hmm. and it can only be generated through roasting. Yeah. And again, it's actually interestingly enough that thiol, sulfur compound, sulfur is only a small percentage of a plant or of any sort of material um, by mass. Um, but very, very mind. Our, our body is capable of detecting sulfur in teeny tiny amounts, and probably for you yeah. imagine a pretty good reason. Um, you know, H2S will kill you if you don't. Yeah, I mean, usually like, <laughs> some of it will kill you if it's uh, you know in any significant. But it is also responsible for a lot of the delicious stuff. And in fact, I think I read an article just three day, two days ago that it said the three key flavor markers that you want to identify in coffee. Every single one of them has got sulfur in it. Yeah, right. Um, if you wanted to roast by chemistry and not roast by color, for example, which yeah. maybe we should talk about in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, those sulfur compounds are what you want um but yeah i mean that's what roasting kind of does it generates those reactions that produce all these compounds that are responsible for the incredibly i don't know if you call it eclectic mix of different flavors yeah it's interesting because sulfur is usually associated with like a rotten egg kind of smell right? yeah well that's that's hydrogen sulfide is it hydrogen sulfide Uh uh-oh 
I mean, yes. <laughs> to the yes, group, the to answer the is yes. <laughs> Gosh, I'm going to have to go back on that. I didn't do the research on that before I, I came in. I don't know precisely what compound it is, but yes, you're right. Rotten air gas, um, uh, sulfur. Um, but look, I mean, all the other things that are generated in there, like, you know, butyl formate, methyl formate, all those other kind of no, chemicals, yeah. some right. smell Hydrogen, like... Hydrogen sulfide is no, noticeable by its rotten air smell. Yeah, it is. But that's in teeny, teeny, tiny concentrations, yeah. right? Um, we, I worked in a sulfur lab. Um, when I was at MIT in the States, and I tell you what, it, I think there was a thing there. I think if you if you could smell hydrogen sulfide, there was a certain concentration limit. If if you could smell it and then no longer smell it, it means you'd be dead in, ten, in like about twenty seconds or yeah. something like that. Sulfur has no smell. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, sulfur is also a solid, right? The problem is it's so reactive; it generally forms other things. Yes. Sure. Sure. Anyway. Um, hmm. Right. Yeah. No. Anyway, right, we move on. Anyway, canary, canary, canaries uh, can, in mines, etc. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Interestingly enough, actually, so, I mean, I don't know if we've, we've talked about um, washed and natural coffees, but I learned recently in a, I think there was a lecture that was given by a wonderful gentleman, I think, was this Mario, is it Mario Fernandez? I think head of the CQI. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, he did his thesis, I think, in New Zealand looking at um, fermentation of coffee. And he has a wonderful slide that he puts up there. I've got to give credit where credit's due. Um, he has a wonderful slide there talking, looking at how the flavor differences inside coffee um, are generated, and I think you know, one of the nicest slides I saw from his is looking at how the the products of natural processes. So natural, by the way, is where you leave a coffee inside of its fruit or a honey process is similar. You leave it in its mucilage, yep. ferments over a certain amount of time, and people attribute that to being the reason that coffee tastes a bit different. Well, and it's yes. partly true. The, those floral notes and the the fruity notes that are generated in flavors tip, and naturals typically. Uh, are not just the result of the fermentation and metabolysis. It's actually the combination of those two things during roasting um, that makes the difference. Yeah. Right. So, so it, sorry. It's a. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like well, you're right. So, for example, like a metabolysis for you know aldehydes, ketones, um, furans, aldehydes, a whole bunch of other different things. Well, actually, does metabolysis do those things? Probably not. Anyway, but definitely aldehydes and ketones. Um, when those things add with alcohols formed by fermentation, you get fruity esters or um, acid esters being formed, and yep. those things typically result in the you know the hyper fruity, boozy, other kind of type flavors that you get yeah. um, in coffee, which is kind of interesting. I thought that was very cool. Yeah, it's um, quite. Su- I, I would assume that, like, if you're leaving fruit out to dry and essentially ferment, then you're adding those. Precursors. Yeah, those flavors mm-hmm. yeah. that are associated with those yeah. processes into the green. Yeah. But what, it, like Mario has said, is that it's actually co- like almost coincidental. Mm. Like that it just happens that this fermentation process mm. then adds these flavors that we associate yeah, with it's, fermentation. It's curious. Like, yeah, you're right. Exactly. Like it, it's it true. Could, it yeah. could have. It could have made any flavor. True. Um, but it happens to make those flavors when roasted. Yeah, yeah. I wonder you, if that's like an interesting, like human, because I mean, like taste is just something that we perceive and not necessarily that exists in like a objective. Hmm. Now we're getting off topic. Yeah, this is something <laughs> we probably should address in another um, another podcast. Yeah, that's where yeah. we have mass spectrometers, right? Just oh, to, yeah. To do, to do what the human body can't. Yeah, in theory, except the problem is they still can't tell us how it tastes, right? Yeah, right. That's one of the biggest limitations of them. Yeah. Um, we make it up. Yeah, the perception of taste is a whole another topic that can mm-hmm. change also with the color of the cup. That you, we're speaking of, you're drinking out of a blue cup. 
which yeah. scientifically is the best color for a coffee to be drunk out of. Anyway, mm. we digress. Um, it is a very tasty coffee. Mm, mm. So where were we? Talking about fermentations, roasting, and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, so washed versus natural and how that kind of turns into flavors in yeah. the cup. Yeah, it's a very complex thing. I mean, that's the other thing. Interestingly enough, from the papers I've read, I mean, people have tried to find all the different intermediates and all the Maillard reactions, how they work. Yeah. From what I understand, no one understands it. Yeah. But that could be the same case. You dig deeply enough into any sort of topic, you find that you don't understand, that people don't really understand enough. Yeah, the less you know. The less you know, the more you think you know, yeah. and the more you know, the less you realise anyone actually knows, Yeah, especially yourself. Yes. That's certainly what happened with me when I did my degree. So, <laughs> yeah. But one thing I did learn, if I would just want to just before we digress from the chemistry again, because I'm sure we probably do at this stage, and <laughs> I've talked to everyone to death about it. But uh, one of the interesting things I found recently, I did a talk on um, sort of some of the health benefits um, mm, and yeah. potentially toxic effects of coffee. Um, one of the interesting things in roasting, so niacin, vitamin B3, is present in roasted coffee, but it's not present in the green. Yep. So actually you have to roast coffee to get niacin or vitamin B3 out of it. So there's something that occurs. I can't tell you what the reactions precisely are at this stage. I didn't put my research deeply enough, I'm afraid. Um, but the fact remains that it is in there. And actually, the darker you roast the coffee, maybe this makes sense and probably should make sense, mm. the darker you roast the coffee, the more niacin is in there. So if you had a medium roasted coffee, I call medium roasted coffee yeah. sort of medium dark in the standard sense, quote, I suppose. Quote, like... I don't know. For us, coffees that would be if you wanted to try our coffee, um, <laughs> which I'm not. You don't have to. But like, if you if you were to, I'd suppose something like an Octavia or a Bellaroma Octavia, yeah, um, Bellaroma Julius, cat's pajamas. Yeah, would be a comparable sort of color. Um, yeah. Those coffees would have. If you can, if you drank a single shot of espresso from that coffee, it would contain enough vitamin B3 or niacin to fulfill 20% of your dietary recommended intake or what is it? Daily recommended intake of yeah, right. niacin. So if you drink five espressos, five single shots of espresso, you would get 100% of your niacin amount. Huh. Niacin's good on a related note because it regulate, helps regulate fats and keeps your skin pretty healthy. There's one particularly horrible disease also that it present, prevents. Okay. It is a necessary vitamin. Drink, eat Nutrigrain, drink coffee, you will find yourself having enough of right, this particular so vitamin. Nutrigrain is... Uh, has oh, a lot of niacin. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of other green vegetables, and you know, a balanced diet is always recommended. Yes, yeah, so it's found, um, in, found in yeast, meat, fish, milk, eggs, yeah. green vegetables, cereals. Look, I'm not saying coffee is the placebo or the cure all. <laughs> it's certainly not going to hurt. Yeah, it's definitely not going to hurt you nice unless you're not sleeping. Sure. Yes, well, that would hurt. Yeah. Re- mm. Refer to previous episodes. Mm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we better not talk about it too much, otherwise I'll get full sick again. Oh no. Yeah. No, move on. Superstitious. Mm. Um, we should probably talk about roasting methods, right? Yeah. So we'll yeah, talk about we, roasting chemistry. Yeah, we do, we haven't even mentioned different methods of roasting, um, from popcorn machines to frying pans. Although I guess that's frying to industrial things to like big mm. scaled up things that we have. We've got a hundred kilo Brambatti mm. roaster. That is quite large for a drum yeah. roaster. This this is honestly something that like my knowledge falls a bit flat on different kinds of like fluid bed roasters and right. air roasters and things like that. So. Well, I mean, the reality. I mean, if I could, if I could classify them as as I would probably classify them. Mm. I mean, I think roasters effectively fall under two different categories, and there are some hybrids therein. Um, so, I mean. When you're talking about roasting, you're talking about heating something up. And there are three dominant mechanisms of heating, conduction, convection, and radiation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, radiation at the temperature he's looking at is pretty limited. Um, so primarily you separate them by conduction and convection. Conduction is generally direct contact roasting. So a frying pan would be generally 
conductive or would presumably be driven by a conductive method of roasting. Yep. Frying pan would be that. Traditional uh, rotating drum roasters as well. So you basically have a little burner underneath the rotating drum. Yep. That drum heats up the... Oh, sorry, the burner heats up the drum. The drum heats the coffee beans, rotates around and around to get some kind of evenness in the roast. And then there's convection. A fluidized bed roaster would be a pretty good example of that. Um, where basically you blow hot air up from the bottom of a part, of a packed bed of, well, a bed of coffee, green coffee. Mm. And then over time, the, flu- the air rises, the coffee circulates around, uh, and you get, um, well, predominantly a convection-driven heat transfer, and eventually you roast it that way. Yeah, right. Um, our, our, so, um, but that's the thing. Like, not all are 100% one, 100% the other. They yeah. all contain elements of other things, right? Like you're always um, going to have a hot air in a... Yeah, exactly right. So there'll always been the beans are always going to be falling down on a roaster, right? That's yeah. the idea. You get some from the bottom where the burner is, roast them up to the top, then they fall. In a hot drum, as they fall, that'll be forced convection, and you'll get some convection, convective heating. Yeah. Um, in the roaster that we had, the Brambatti, the 120 kilo Brambatti, that's predominantly an air roaster. Um, it's still a rotating drum, but we blow very hot air in from like horizontally across. Yeah. Uh, to heat up the beans that way. Um, there will still be some conduction in there, but I think Brambatti have said it's 80% convection, 20% conduction. I've got no reason to not believe them. Yeah, right. Um, I guess when you have something like that large amount in anything, it's probably easier. Yeah, well, convection is a much right. more effective way of actually driving heat transfer. It's the amount of surface area you'd need. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, the other thing is also, if you think about roasting, you want to generate an even temperature distribution. You want to have an even roasting of beans. You don't want some burnt, some under-roasted. Yeah. The key thing is to try and get flavor development across every single bean inside your roaster evenly you know in the same in the same way you try individual beans need to be roasted evenly from outside to in the whole batch of things need to be roasted evenly from the smallest bean to your largest bean or yeah, maybe the le- least dense to the most yeah, dense right. yeah it's probably the way the better way of describing it yeah density being the predominant the prominent predominant driver of heat transfer yeah so trying to well trying to blend coffees that are of a similar density is the key density yep. and or like if something is quite large and lower density than something is small and a higher density yes is, is dense, density is going to play yeah, a bigger right. factor than yeah. for heat transfer than sort of size from what we yes yeah so we have a what is it the um i'm trying to remember the name of the equation it's the einstein something einstein's the easy one to remember einstein something principle probably. Uh, no 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 it's <laughs> the um einstein gilperin equation there, there it is sure so yeah, it basically his, it's just an equation. One of his less famous ones. What's that? One of his less. Uh, famous. One of his less famous things. <laughs> Einstein and unbelievable to everyone. It was a roaster in his spare time. That's how he made the money to fund his research. Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, you um, had to stay up to finish right. all of this. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Side benefits. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, also made him smarter. Hmm. Um, Me too, probably. Short-term memory recall, at least. Anyway, but anyhow, <laughs> the equation. Well, that I mean that equation there basically tells you how hot flow of air will you know will transfer heat. Um, across materials of different density. It's probably a good way of computing precisely how fast heat transfer will occur inside a hot air roaster. But let's, we, we won't go into that because I have to do it in, you know, it's a podcast. It's not a, yeah, it's not a, a video. Thing. And even if it were a video, I'd be a bit too nervous yeah. <laughs> to do something like that. Um, but, an, uh, an animation, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, look, it's, that's, I think that's kind of roasting technically and in depth, I suppose, in yeah. a sense. But we, without telling people necessarily how you operate a roaster. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to operate a roaster and there's so many different things. But again, I'm not an operator of a roaster. Mike and Pete, they're the ones to really talk to about that here at Seven Mile. Yeah, and um, a, a lot of experience behind it as well. And like oh yeah. having having a coffee from Colombia and then having a coffee from the high Alps of Ethiopia. Right. Is they're going to behave very different or even coffees that you know we we use color as a quality check yes or a consistency sorry not a quality consistency check for us 
Yes. But I have tried coffees that we've color checked from other people that have tasted darker. Yeah. That have been a lighter color. So there's obviously like a lot more to it than you know time and well color's only skin deep right yeah and, and t- yeah yeah even, even when it's ground yeah well that's true actually yeah. it's true um the doneness and the flavors that you generate won't necessarily be distinguished by a color per se yeah um but it is a degree of consistency and it's where we do internal checks yeah and it's actually the way the roasters check whether something's done enough right they have a look and see how much the beans swelled what the color yeah, is whether you're doing it visually or yeah when, when the cracks are occurring it's yeah. a you know it's a, it's a it's a actually it's an entirely sensory experience i suppose for being a roaster i suppose yeah you have to do rely on your your sight your ears and your nose yeah um yeah we're just like and your i mean that's it's where we cup too right Mm. So, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, like even brewing coffee downstairs, you know, you can you can have a recipe in mind and you can hit that perfectly every single time. Yep. But the only way to really check your work is to taste it. Um, yep. And the same with cooking and the same with roasting. Yeah. And I suppose truthfully the same in any food lab and anywhere in the world. You're trying yeah. to check for consistency chemically, but at the same time, got to taste it in the end. Yeah. Like how, is, how does your body perceive two chemicals yeah. at the same time yep. rather than two individually the same yeah. two individually yeah so. yeah interesting very interesting maybe we should do an episode on perception and olfactory we certainly should because yeah. actually i think we can put a few other things like i talked about the blueness of a cup affecting your sense of taste i yeah. think we should maybe we should do that next time yeah, yeah. Hmm. don't hold us to that <laughs> but uh, maybe not i think we should in the future in the near future a, yeah we're, we're trying to get these episodes out once a month um you know, maybe in the future we'll do more. Mm, things we'll like see. that. Got yeah. plenty of content here. Yeah, it just never ends. Mm. There's always stuff going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, always mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of excellent, amazing research going on in the coffee industry as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm trying to present that. Yeah. But I mean, anything else on roasting? I think we're pretty. I think that covers most of the things we're going to talk about now. Uh, yeah, without kind of diving in just completely into the nitty gritty of it all, mm. um, which I'm sure we could save for possibly a another episode if we choose to mm. but yeah if we get pete on yeah pete and mike, mike. yeah probably yeah. yeah um yeah i mean if if any of you lovely listeners have any questions or any um topics or anything that you would like us to discuss then by all means send an email to us at podcast at seven miles.com.au um or you know message us on the gram or the facebook mm-hmm. you know there's plenty of um, send us an inquiry through our website mm-hmm. whatever floats your boat um, yeah I think it's roasting cool. Uh, uh, yeah, cool yeah thank you everyone for listening um, tell your friends uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure as always absolutely. and we'll see you in a month absolutely see you then thanks bye bye The, the start's always the hard part.